episode 31 of Gaming and BS, the podcast that is not named after a bard power, sponsored by darktheater.net. Gaming NBS. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome back, folks. Brett, how are you? Not too bad. I'm tired, man. I had another long, long gaming weekend. But, I mean, it's a good tired, you know, when you get to uh, hang out. And I ran uh, with my buddy Zaber, ran us two different, basically joint seminars, if you will, on game mastering and playing for the high school group up in my hometown. And then we played games for the rest of the day, built a little world stuff together and uh, a lot of fun and uh, got my hands on uh, my copy of the Duke finally. Cracked that out. The so Duke. It was, just, it was like a John Wayne game. game. Yeah. John Wayne and game. as uh, as the Everest group, um, they, <laughs> the, the the president of the, and the little officers within the little officers, I mean, they're high school kids, right? But they uh, they decided to call that this last Saturday's event, a role-playing extravaganza. And we were the, we were the focal point of the role-playing extravaganza. Dude, I think you guys just so, do that shit. So you guys can get your egos pumped every once in a while. Mostly. Yeah. It's weird <laughs> when you walk in there when you, when I walk in there and there's like these 14 year old kids like, Oh my God, Brett, you're here. This is so cool. I can't wait to play one of your games again. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> Featuring really Brett. Yeah. It's weird. There. Oh, well, that's good. Who gives us that's great yeah. stuff. Like my daughter's like, so you're like nerd famous? I said barely nerd. I said there's like six 14 year old kids in my hometown that know who I am now. Whatever. Hey, when you're our age, we'll take it any way we can get it. Exactly. Exactly. Somebody likes me. Somebody's a fan. I love it. That's cool stuff. Hey, honey, I'm gonna go hang out with the guys down at uh, the school. We're gonna run an RPG game. Uh, you know. Yeah, this 42 year old guy hanging out at the high school. <laughs> kids. Right. That's great. Yeah. Oh, there's it's, it's, no, we, there's, we've talked about, we've talked about them before, right? They're the guys yeah. that do Evercon that I go to with Zave and my buddy, uh, Alpha and stuff. And, uh, it, it's a hell of a, it's a hell of a group. They actually got, I'm totally jumping way to the end here, but when we were there, one of the guys from, uh, Steve Jackson games, one of his reps was there talking to Chad, uh, Chad Knight, front of a show. And one of my gaming group who was, is part of uh, the Evercon crew and, Christian Amon, the main teacher who runs it, and they're going to have a little presence. Steve Jackson is going to have a presence there, not Steve himself, but they're going to send some folks there. They've got some goodies for the Evercon crew to give away and uh, maybe run a seminar or two, and it'll be kind of cool. You the should, con is getting bigger. You should tr- you should try to uh, – we'll <clears throat> talk about it later. Remind me. Right. Remind me. I will. It. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So announcements. Uh, Gamehole Con announcement has its exhibitors floor layout complete and they put it out. I don't think they've done it in a newsletter yet, but they did mention, uh, I think we mentioned in one episode with Alex, how big the exhibitor floor was going to be. They're touting the biggest exhibit hall in the Midwest, second only to the mighty Gen Con. Yes. If you, I think they've got it on their Facebook page. I know, um, we, we give Alex Cameron and the guys over there some crap, mostly Alex, for not posting some stuff on Google+, but we'll definitely make sure we get one out there for folks. So 
what do they say? 6,500 square feet of gaming retail goodness. There's a lot of cool stuff looking in there. So, yeah, I like this. Craziness. Tech, World Builders, Kenzer and Company. Oh, my God. I'm Bored is there. TPK, Frog God, Eldritch. Cool. Troll Lord. Nice. Good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. I think uh, other than that, I don't. Well, think- they've also got the uh, they have the uh, Gen Con board games library again. Oh, that's year, right. Yes, the Gen which Con, which is awesome. Yeah, Gen- that was actually a huge selling point when it's when I uh, talked to Zave and my buddy Kevin. I don't know if it was so much for Kevin in Austin, but when I talked to Zave about it, um, we're like, it's awesome because if you're like between games, you're not quite sure what to do. Roam on down there, and they have the entire board game library. Check out a board game you've never played before or an old favorite. You can grab people and just play. Doesn't cost you anything other than you know the entry to get into the con, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's great stuff. Maybe they have the Duke. I hope they do. That's my new favorite board game. I love it. I don't. I wish I played more board. Ah, you know, I get a you know that buddy of mine that plays board games every once in a while, and they one of his friends that he works with is poo poo on the game whole name. Like won't go to the con because of the name. Oh well. Um, so I, I bring that up because those guys will invite me every once in a while to a board game day. Um, I don't know. Maybe I should get into some more board gaming. There's some really kick-ass stuff out there. I mean, just take a look at And I, I thank Mo Tusano, our Canadian gaming god. Thankfully, I worship at his at his altar quite often. Oh, for looking at, wow. for look, when, it, when it comes to... Mo just listens to us so he can... Exactly. He can so I can just his eagle. But no, it was really cool. I mean, all horrible, blasphemous, hyperbole aside, it was really nice because I saw Mo posting about it. I'm like, what is that? I asked a couple questions. He answered me back. I did some research on him. I'm like, damn it, I'm going to buy that thing. Picked it up, and it's exactly as awesome as Mo told me it was. So that was that was a damn good uh, – really glad. If for no other reason to follow Mo was I, I found that out. That was cool. So not to get into the weeds, but is that a two-player game? Yes, two-player game. Interesting. Yes, it is fun. It plays fast. Sweet. Shall we move on to the next? Yeah, before we before we completely destroy our. <laughs> All right. So, random encounter. The random encounter is a segment of the show where we address emails, voicemails, social media, smoke signals, whatever from our community. And it starts out with Kevin Lovecraft, which is not his actual last name, and I'll probably never actually know his real last name, but. I know it, and Kevin. I can't say it because if I say it too many times, then I summon him, and I'm not ready to deal with that right now. Hey, let's not do that right now. Ooh. Good episode, guys, finally. And he, he's referring to episode 3.0 where we talk about campaigns, RPG, RPG campaigns versus like one-shots. I prefer playing and running ongoing campaigns while a one-shot can have a good core idea slash conceit slash hook. I think that a campaign offers more fun to me as a player and more chances to develop my character or the chance to tell a more complex story when I'm the storyteller. You know, when Kevin put that up there, and we'll see the next one here from Roger, it was um, honestly when you and I were talking about it, I had not thought of that perspective, and Roger threw that out there on the Google in our Google Plus community. And it totally hit me that the same thing, Zave and Lenny and all the guys I play with and people I talk to that really love it, from player's perspective especially, it's that um, the depth and growth. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Should I, you want to read the next one or no? No, it's you. You got it going, man. All right, Roger B. I'll just say Roger B from Google+. Plus. Roger's the the gent that 
uh, join us for our hangout and is from Maine and plays Warhammer Fantasy writes on episode uh I don't actually I'll just go into it I'm all about campaigns I think some of it is connected to all to, yeah start over I'm all about campaigns I think some of it is connected to being all about experience points I posted a comment on your website for episode 20 and he goes into some of the XP thing mostly I'm all about character development there is little development in a one-shot. If you run a one-shot at beginning level, you're always playing novices. Your character's not really good at anything and doesn't get a chance to become good at anything. If you're sick of that and you want to start at higher levels, you don't know your character as well as if you had played them from beginning level. I want a campaign. I want to learn about my character as my character is learning about himself. That is... um. That argument that Roger throws out there, that that perspective, is the same that my buddy Dave and I actually used to use this one. Another friend of ours, uh, John Franks, would run D and D. His AD and D was kind of a his own mishmash of various different things. There was Arduin was in there, first and second edition D and D and whatnot. And uh, John would say, "Well, <clears throat> make like tenth level characters to start because I want to run this big adventure." And our argument was like, "I would rather honestly start at first or second because I want to build the character." along so that way by the time we get to 10th we have all of these cool hooks and reasons to be together now conceivably were we to sit there and and make 10th level character and use something like the bonds from a um uh, dungeon world to use bonds from dungeon world or some mechanic like that we could in, we could force it you know but it's really cool to have in a D&D world, especially when you're playing as a party or even, hell, even in Knights Black Agents when you're a group or you're a pack of vampires or werewolves in some town or whatever it is, to have essentially grown up, if you will, together as characters, marching up either the, the power, whatever the power curve is, right? Either growing through level or grow, growing through skill advancement or, or magic items or whatever it is. Doing that together is really cool. And you then get to, you love and learn about that character. So I totally get where that's coming from. Yeah, I would say that if you're arguing for campaigns, that's a big one. Huge, absolutely huge. Howdy, gents. An email from a listener. I really enjoyed episode 30, if only because for the first time, I found myself agreeing with both Brett and Sean. Brett, I often agree with, but Sean? See, I like I like this guy already. I like it. I like it. That's just nuts. <laughs> anyway. No, I love him. Anyway, I found that both of you gents had things to say that resonate with me. I think that, for me, campaign plays the big draw of gaming, but that I can really enjoy the freedom that playing or running in a one-off, particularly at cons or games days, allows. After thinking about it for a while, I realized that my feelings on the matter run like this. I run campaigns because I like to build stuff, but I run one-off games because I like to tear stuff down. Thanks again for another great show, Adam Muskovitz. Oh, awesome. And Adam is a, uh, he's a host of Drink, Spin, Run podcast. So check out Adam, and he's on the Pluses. Um, And I met Adam at Gary Con. I've met him the year prior, but this year I interacted a little bit more with Adam. And the fact that he agreed with me. That's awesome. Yeah. It's rare. It's rare. I mean, I I barely do. (laughs) <laughs> One thing about Adam, if you ever listen to his podcast, he he's pretty uh he's pretty upfront in his opinions and where he stands and what he thinks, which is good. Um nothing wrong with that. But I, I you know, whatever, Adam. 
Well, I'll tell you what, though. The one, the thing he says at the end, I run one-off games because I like to tear stuff down. That's actually – it's a cool statement, and I got to say I, I agree with Adam on that because when I do set up a one-shot or whatever it is, I'm building this thing so that we can just kind of bust through it and go. And it's also awesome – excuse me – often an opportunity for me to try something different. Whenever I'm one-shots with my group, it's because I'm running sometimes a different game system we want to – uh, play test, quote unquote, if you will, or a different type of adventure or whatever the case is. And I just want to see what happens when I do this thing. It's very, it's an experiment in one way, shape or form. And then when you're doing that, you are, you're, you're tearing it down. You're, you're breaking it apart, trying to see what happens when you crack it open and, and what's it made of. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I know. Holy Ad- crap, we got more. I should stop talking. I know Adam's a big DCC guy and DCC has the funnel and it's, you know, you get a lot of character death in DCC, but at the same time you can turn it into a campaign. So there's, so where with Adam, I can completely see where he's got this kind of conundrum where it's like, well, I really like one shots. I like DCC because it has the ability to run a funnel and, and acts off characters. Um, there's a very real, uh, there's a real vulnerability in that system. And then, but of it, of course, at the same time, he probably, I'm, I'm speaking for him because that's what I'm going to do, Adam. Hey, Adam, I can't hear you. Hey, hey, Adam, I can't hear you. Are you talking into the podcast catcher right now? And now he hates you. I don't think. Oh, that's sad. I know. (laughs) I'll become his best buddy. But I think at the same time, I think some of his with everybody else, like I like to see character growth and the long term story um, probably comes to mind, too. So moving on. Cool stuff. Thanks for the email, Adam. Christian Serrano. Mr. Savage Worlds on the G Blueses. He uh, oversees the uh, Savage Worlds. I think I don't Savage Bloggers Network too. I think on Savage or the community on Google Plus writes. Thanks for the props, guys. Love the random encounter convo. Personally, I like the campaign approach, but I also appreciate the serial approach, especially for settings for which they feel right. Another approach is a task force mission oriented one shot. Each session is a different short adventure, great for when players are coming and going each session. For longer story arcs without full campaigns, Dungeon Magazine was a great resource for that. My favorite, for example, was the City of Istvin series, which I bookended with other Greyhawk-based adventures from the magazine's 3E slash 3.5 era. I like that approach, Christian, and I've... I was actually talking about this with Zave and a couple of my gaming group um, last weekend over my birthday weekend and this – or two weekends ago and this last one while I was up again with Zave where we were setting up the role-playing extravaganza and talking about the concept of if you have a group and you go mission to mission, it's one-shot E but not throwaway characters, right? And you there is consistency – of a sort, right? You go from point to point to point to point, and you're, you pick up, and the next mission is thrown at you. Oh, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is this thing. Great. Off we go. We have the same guys, and off, and, and we move on to the next bit. So that's kind of cool. I like that. And it's, it is something I've been, as I'm on my break here, toying with, you know, when I come up with whatever comes next for my group, is that a method that I want to uh, pull in on them? So that's cool. I like that. Yeah, mission-based games are pretty Pretty cool. Very easy to manage when it comes to people that are showing up or not showing up. You're you're included or you're not. The only tricky thing is, is you still end up kind of thinking about the class. If you're running a class system, you still may run into, 
do we have what we need for the mission? So if you, it's going to be, well, we're going to probably end up in a, like as GM, you're probably thinking like, well, is there going to be a chase, car chase? So is there a wheel man? Do you need a wheel man? Does somebody have the driver skill? So you might in an espionage type game, uh, specifically like, like spycraft or something like that, but you can usually overcome it really quick. Yep. You know, it, I totally see that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, go ahead, man. No, I was going no, to say, I, I like the idea and the fact that this, <clears throat> it's goofy, but I was thinking, you know, a, not, a serialized type of version, I have this X-Files vision in my head of how, you know, Mulder and Scully go from place to place to right. place. Yeah. There is a background tale that's going on with aliens and taking over bodies and stuff, but they still end up in these weird missions that they're given by the FBI because they have no choice. They got to go do their fucking day job type of thing, let alone, you know. So I could see that when you, if you have an overarching thing going on in the background, and then these little one shots kind of hanging off of it, and sometimes they have nothing to do with the other one. Hell, even even Hellboy does that. Mike Magnola and the and the guys that did Hellboy um, did that a lot at the beginning. You know, he would. There's a series of things that are happening, but then there's also these other tales that they would throw out there that are Hellboy, but have nothing to do with the current plot. So cool, I like it. Very nice. Thank you for the email, Christian. Actually, I don't know if it was an email or an actual post on Google Google Plus. Regardless, thank you. Absolutely. Victor, Victor Wyatt writes, I am through the episode now and have a clearer bit of input. Oh, sorry. That's enough. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sean all, just picked up Night's Black Agent, so he was all vampired up. So. I'm, all, I'm all Eastern Bloc countryed. All right. On one, okay. I am through the episode now and have a clear bit of input because he posted a couple times, like, "Hey, what the heck?" And then, "Oh, hey, I kind of see it." Now this is kind of his last post in that um, series, I think. So hopefully, this captures it all. A cathartic event. On one hand, I love my small format games that run from one to three sessions and then are done. Those things are great because I love switching up the flavor. Totally get that. On the other hand, I love the old-time D&D campaigns. I played years ago. Some of it's nostalgia, but some is the desire to see the lives of the characters develop. Again, going back to characters develop, grow. Right now, since I have picked up D&D 5e and the Elemental Evil Adventure, I am chomping at the bit to run it for all 15 levels. Boom. Wow. That's a, that's a haul, man. I know. That's crazy. I would be gamer ADD and get bored after the first two. Well, I'll tell you what, if not, if you can get the players to dedicate the time to that, that could be a kick-ass epic level fun. That could be a blast. Agreed. Something you touched on with small form games versus campaign games, too, was that you get a different play style from people when they get together to play. With longer games, players seem to play on the conservative side, but one-shots push players to go all in with the awesome their characters do. You could see completely different interaction uh, with the story from the same players when they know they only have so much time in that world than when they know they have to live with the consequences of their act- character's actions. All in all, I like a little bit of everything. Fair points. I think what's interesting, I was um, thinking about this in, as you were reading through the you know different, the more conservative pieces. <clears throat> Excuse me, I think I mentioned this last time. I know... Kevin, uh, Kev Thulu, who wrote us earlier, or Kevin Lovecraft, as Kev will write his character, he will put in, if he puts together a you know five-paragraph background or a two-page background, whatever it is, and if his character dies in the first session, he's like, that's cool. Next one, boom, same level of background, same level of thought. Because if the character does exist longer, 
and continues on for five, six, seven, 20 sessions, whatever it is, Kevin wants to have the meat. And again, Kevin, correct me if I'm, I'm totally off on here, but he wants to have the meat behind that character so that way he can keep developing it and have all these cool touch points. And Zave is very similar. I've seen him do it over the years too. And all of the guys that I game with, again, I'm very, very fortunate in that if they die, they're like, ah, shit, I died. Oh, well, new guy. And they, you know, are, are, are. it doesn't seem to change their play style. But I have noticed when everyone games at conventions, even small conventions, or when I've been a part of convention play, that I personally, I, I notice I play differently. If I know it's a one shot, I'm like, fuck it, I'm in. Right. Do that thing, sure, I jump on it. I don't care. Oh, I died, whatever. Yeah. I've got five minutes until the end of the session. I could give a shit. So, I, yeah, I see it. And I do like Victor's point, though. I mean, all in all, I do. I also like a little bit of everything. Sometimes the one-shots are a blast. I ran a couple of them on my birthday weekend, and it was a fun. It was a fun time, you know, just kind of cutting loose and seeing what we, what we could do. It was a fun. It was a fun. It was totally – it was a thing, and a thing was done. Whoa. I think he had Dr. Seuss on me. <laughs> totally. All right, man. Let's do – Let's go and take a word from our sponsor. Michael Aldhauser, a friend of the show and sponsor, is the gamer behind the awesome dice bags available at grayedout.etsy.com. Yeah, I've got four of these awesome bags. These are stand-up bags, dual drawstring, tough as nails. He can do custom work. He's got a ton of things in his shop, custom colors, you name it, he can pull it off for you. Be sure to mention Gaming NBS for a 10% discount when you place your order at the website grayedout, that's G-R-E-Y-E-D-O-U-T dot Etsy dot com. All right, so. So, Misdirected Mark, our buddies. Yeah. We're in Buffalo. Hey, I, our brothers uh, from other mothers. I wrote them a comment today. Did you? What'd you I tell did, because I was listening to episode 50, 150, and Phil Vecchio and did an episode. Well, hold on. I'll let you go. You go. Oh, say so. They had episode one fifty, and they said congratulations. One fifty. Congratulations to one fifty. So we're sticking around for one hundred fifty episodes. That's absolutely applause worthy. That's awesome. I know. I know. Phil is newer to it from Chris, but Chris, for God's sakes, man, that is awesome to have kept it going this long. Fresh ideas and keep rolling. That's awesome, man. That's that's something for Sean and I to you know. We got to see what we can do. We got to get there. That's cool. So on 150, they decided they were going to do Battle of the Bards. They pulled out every bard they could, <clears throat> different games and systems and whatnot, or or um, variations on the theme, mostly sticking to a D and D type of thing. And try to rank them, score them, and who's the best bard or which variation of the bard was the best. Going back to like the old first edition bard, right? Remember the back of the old player's handbook by Gygax, the uh, the world's first, um, uh, what do I want to say, prestige class, if you will, to make that. But one of the things that Sean, where Sean was going is that our buddy Phil, Phil. over there. They jumped the shark. The, uh, what, what did he get? He totally jumped the shark. What did, how did he jump? Which shark was jumped? The cyberpunk shark? <laughs> cyberpunk. Phil, what the hell are you doing over there? It said it was a shark with a laser. <laughs> the guitar, <laughs> cyberpunk. What did he say? The guitar, the guitar hero? What the hell did he name him? I can't remember what it was. It was, oh. um, it's from, I think it's from Cyberpunk 2020. And it's the something boy. I can't remember what Guitar the hell it was. Guitar boy or some shit. Something. Something funky like that. God damn it, Sneezak. You got to put the smack down on that Vecchio, dude. Just because he's got editing cred, don't let him freaking take your episodes off the rails. 
Oh, uh, what was it? It was the oh rocker boy. It was the rocker boy. <laughs> rocker, That's what it was. Rocker, rocker freaking boy. Hey man, I got oh, a bar. Chris, Chris looked at him. I, I, could, <laughs> I don't. I haven't. I have not seen the boys physically in person, right? But I just have this image ahead of Chris looking across the table, going seriously, and just mouthing, "What the fuck are you doing, fucking Becky? rocker boy?" <laughs> it just made me laugh. Oh, I loved it. Oh man, you are never gonna live that shit down, Vecchione. <laughs> rocker so what boy. Is at the end, at the end of it, the guys give us give us some nice. They give us little props, kind of uh, a la a challenge at the end. And they said, hey, let's see if those gaming and BS guys can talk about bards or mention the term bard more than we did. Let's just see if anybody else is, has the, has the um, loot strings enough, if you will, or bongos or whatever the hell it takes to go in on the bards. So uh, what? let's talk about bards. Well, first of all, hold on now. They, they were talking about Ken and Robin take, oh, they were challenging get- Ken and Robin. And then they realized that Ken and Robin are probably beyond – the four of us. <laughs> so let's try to let's, let's Ken go Bush Height, League. Let's go Bush League. Ken Height and Robin Laws, who definitely probably have a better, bigger, better following than we do. And then they're like, oh, you know what? They probably don't listen to us. Let's throw it at the gaming and BS guys. They're the second tier, third tier freaking format. Yeah, I felt like that. With, uh, you know, the the Mikey kid, he'll eat anything. Or yeah. He won't eat it. Mikey likes it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm that guy. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, but no love loss by any means. Like, no, 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 no. You, you fuckers will get you back for this. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we'll get you back for this. <laughs> but the cool. <laughs> so the thing I this is funny. So Sean and I've been talking. <clears throat> excuse me. When we, we're talking about the campaign stuff and seeing what people are writing in about character development and so on. And I've had a number of different encounters with bards throughout my gaming career. And most of them have been pretty damn entertaining. And I've not, I've yet to have a really colossally abysmal bard as far as abysmally played, didn't fit right, whatever the case is. So far, the ones I've seen have actually been pretty freaking sneaky. And actually, I think over 75% have been evil to the core. Sean, have you, what's your bardic, what is your bardic experience in, as a player or a gamer? Do you play bards? Have you ever? Had the bard in your group, and you're like, "The fucking what's wrong with you, you thespian prick? Get out of my game!" What I think, do you? I, pl- I think I played one bard in three five. His name was Baron. Oh man, what was his name? I made it in. It, I made it purposely super long. It was like Baron. Uh, God bless von Richthofen. No, it was like um, Baron Steuben von. Oh, damn it, Bar- Baron von Steuben von Bar- Baron Steuben von Offerdahl the Fourth. Nice. That's and he's got to be introduced as such. Of course, and he was of royal background, who decided to, you know, poo poo mummy and daddy and go off an adventure <laughs> and start you, start what you just what you just laid out there yeah everyone i know who's played a bard with me anyone who's made a serious character as opposed to i've seen one shot bards right every time you hear bard drink every time you're bard going drink, moving forward moving forward oh god people will be unconscious but everyone uh, in my groups that i've run when i run a campaign when they come up with a bard every bard has a really good background as far as i've seen characters i think it goes hand in hand right I think it absolutely does. And I believe, I cannot remember which bard it was, but I think Chris from Mr. Mark said, hey, it says in the book, this bard is not really a 
beginning player class. It's a more complicated one to play. And I don't necessarily know if I agree with that for any system per se, but there's a there's a thing about the bard where it says, okay, <clears throat> I'm not just picking which spells I use, which weapons I use. I've got all that, but I also have to pick a musical instrument. How do you perform? How do you interact with people? And so on. And it's a very social class or skill set. Even if you're playing something like a GURPS or a or a basic role playing, and you were making a bard type dude or or woman, and if she's supposed to be, <coughs> excuse me, a bard, she's got to figure out how does she interact with people, right? And it, it's very hard to be a bard who hates everybody, stabs people in the back, and steals everybody's shit. That's really not. At least that person has to have a double persona or something. So there's a cool, if you will, there's a coolness to bards, where everyone I've dealt with has a really interesting starting point. They've got a background, and uh, I think the class, at least as I've seen it, and um, if I talk about D&D bards, which are my most experienced to them, I've dealt with some bards in the Rollmaster system too, but because it's social interaction-y, you've got to have how you do that as part of your character, because I'm going to ask you as a game master. I think it's kind of cool. The force is that. Bards rock. There you have it. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> we, so we're not going through these. So if you want to know like what bard is kind of the best out of all the editions of fantasy RPGs. Instructed Mark, Mr. episode 150. Yeah, mis- misdirected Mark, like Brett said, episode 150. We're not going to compare them side by side. We're not going to break them down, you know, one to one, like in the different categories. But I think with Brett and what he wanted to do was talk about that they don't they don't have to suck and absolutely not and I think with well and we play I think if you take the breakdown of a bard and you compare their stats from one edition to the other um that is very tactical I yes. think I think like oh hey does the bard get spells at first level yes no check box and not, and I'm not not dissing how Phil and Chris broke it down because I think that's a really no. They're good trying way. to get him. They're trying to do empirical yeah. empirical data of, right. of a very non-empirical thing, right? You know, and, and compare one to the other. So, and if I you're going to really seriously compare, that's a, probably how you got to do it. And if they didn't do the episode first, I, I probably would have chose to kind of take the same format. Honestly, totally, totally. However, now let's get into the role playing side of the Bard, which is. I so one thing they didn't bring up, which I think is freaking cool, and Brett brought it up, which I'd never really considered that would be really cool, is the like the war drummer, right? Yeah, the bag the, the bagpiper guy. Uh, yes, you know if you're Highlander and you're gonna go off into the big Highlands and you're gonna beat up the Kurgans, you're gonna have the big bagpiper at the top of the freaking hill bagpiping like yeah, yeah man we're going off it's like cranking iron maiden of the day right yeah i mean if you listen to what was it there's a um, world war z i can't recall the guy who wrote it but there's a section in there where they're talking about how they played music to keep the troops pumped up you watch apocalypse now <clears throat> they've got music blaring um predator drummers predator does you. the same thing predator too. does the same thing yep. um drums were used in wartime for, to do different things, bugles, sounded charges, and so on. So <clears throat> one of the things I found is that when I tell the guys, hey, we're going to be running this, that, or I mean, this tr- standard D&D type of world, my buddy Alpha, that little bastard, made a guy named Milo Fiddlebottom. 
Milo Fiddlebottom was a halfling bard who played the awesome bongos. Awesome name for a halfling. <laughs> awesome name. And Milo Fiddlebottom, his whole thing was because he was a halfling, played bongos, boogada, 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 boogada. And um, <clears throat> so what he would do is he was all about buffing the group. So he any magic items he could get his hands on that were buffs or he could help people out. He was kind of sneaky. He would do his thing, but he's always – he tore through the the third edition bard, figured out how he could be the best buffing dude he could and help the whole group out. Well, in the back end, he also had his taste, which became quite literal later, for necromancy where he was like digging into stuff, working on things. At one point, I think Lenny's character caught him chewing on a, on a mummified human ear. He said, what are you doing? He goes, nothing, nothing, nothing. It's like stuck in his pouch. But – that was the start of bards being evil if you're in Brett's worlds. Because shortly after that, every other bard in my games that Lenny has encountered has started off being this wonderful, jovial, very nice person who talks to you and works the crowd and does this, does that. But the son of a bitch is a necromancer. He's a backstabber. He um, is a cannibal. <laughs> he does horribly evil things. And all behind a loot. You know, for whatever reason, you know, whomever it is, it, they turn evil. Now, Grant, Chad, he, even Chad's character was a bard in one of my Avalon games, and uh, he had kind of a twisted aspect to him. So every bard that has shown up has had this great, really nice face, this very nice facade, but the players have used that as, like, their stage persona, and then in the background, they're evil, twisted little fuckers that <laughs> steal stuff and... It's they're kind of mean. That's what I've seen. Well, I have to admit, I haven't run into a, a twisted bard, so I would see that as uh, pretty awesome. I may bring I may bring that out in people. That's that's possible. Oh, maybe it's your GMing style. <laughs> maybe it's my like. Look, this is just how it works. I got to do well, this. Thing. Killing babies and all that stuff. Evil. Yeah, bards. we did. We did. Yeah, I have. I have done too many dead babies. We talked e- about evil that, bards. Later. I don't know. Yeah. Dead babies. Who knows what else your group is uh, dabbling in. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you, though, one of the and Sean and I hit, hit this over lunch the other day, and I'm like, you know, when one of the first times I ran my Avalon game in a D&D, using a D&D system, I was playing with some guys I used to work with, and uh, Chris and uh, Doug and David and this group of guys I was with, and I said, look, you're going to be a city campaign. They always wanted to do a city campaign. I'm like, hey, I have a city. Boom. It's my big city of Avalon. It's massive. It'd be great. And they said, well, what kind of classes make sense? We should do some kind of limiting. We really want to challenge. I said, all right, guys, thieves and bards and maybe a cleric. And we kind of we limited things because they wanted to be super sneaky and interpersonal, interactive, and so on. And the bards in that group, they were the face men for the thieves and the assassins. These were the guys that went from bar to bar, figured out where the loot was, figured out which guy had the best swag they could steal, whatever the case was. And... They were the, what do I want to say, the rumor mongers. They planted rumors. They would, the excuse me, one of the city, a, a sergeant of the guard, uh, the Griffins, the local guard would be on their ass. And one of the guys would go and, and sing something about that guy's wife and then just get the whole, <laughs> that entire precinct or that entire area would be all about that. So in that setting, the bards they used were that traditional city bard. They went from place to place and pulled data and was kind of this face man, almost a spy, if you will, right? Think of like a James Bond persona type of thing where you're in here looking sexy, trying to be the guy who's selling whatever it is, but on the background you're you're stealing secrets or whatever it was. Guys in those types of settings will use bards as spies to work their way into noble homes 
and uh, sleep with the scullery maids so that they can get access to the uh, to somebody's secret library or whatever. But on the flip side, then <clears throat> when I've done dungeon crawls and somebody wants to be a bard, then my buddy. Alpha comes in with Milo Fiddlebottom, and he plays the bongos because they're like drums. They're small. They're portable. He can play them with his hands and kind of keep the party going. Chad, when he played one, it was a war chanter. He was basically a um, somebody who would just yell out, if you will, um, very powerful vocal powers, and he would just um, talk through free verse or whatever it is, just different components about we're winning this um, epic poetry, that type of thing. So it was always um, bards built for the adventure. How can I best support them? I'm going to be 15 miles underground in some ancient dwarven hold that's been overrun by kobolds. They're not playing lyres and, and uh, you know harps. These guys are playing war drums, bagpipes, or they're um, epic poets. That's what I'm saying. And I agree. And I think if you're playing a bard to be a contributing factor in melee, it's not going to happen. Maybe. Well, maybe. Maybe they get a stabby stab here or there. But honestly, it's a big role-playing character. It's probably, I mean, it's built around being a thespian. Yeah. But now, if you think combat, if you're the ta- if you're the buff dude and you're not really a good frontline fighter, guess what? You're on a tactical game system like a Pathfinder. You are the flank dude. You're the guy that comes up and gives the flank bonus to the real fighter, Right. So you might not take a lot of, you might not have a lot of hit points, maybe not be able to deal out a lot of damage. But what I saw was my little fiddle bottom. I saw Chad's character. I saw the guys from my one of my first Avalon games with their bards. They were the flanking dude. Someone in the fighter type, the thief type, the big combat monkey would roll up front. He'd get in front of the bad guy, and a bard would come around and get a flank. Now the bard, tink, tink, tink. He had a rapier. He had a short sword. He wasn't doing a lot of damage, but... You know how it is in a D&D world, two, three points here and there makes a big difference sometimes. But he gave the big, bad combat motherfucker that plus to hit, and that was a big deal. So he was the guy that would position himself, and then that one was dead. He'd roll off and be the flank and be the flank guy for the next person. And he also, because he's in the background, he had enough hit points and stamina that he was also on uh, mage guard duty, Right. So when the cleric wasn't around to protect the mage, the bard was kind of that back floater, if you will, between the groups. So I think that it also, so you kind of touched on it too, but it depends on the campaign you're running. If you're going to run, absolutely. if you're going to run, hey, like my buddy Doc, in when he ran his Pathfinder game, he would tell us, dude, three encounters a night. That's what you're going to run into. So three encounters isn't, and his definition of encounter wasn't like, oh, here's a trap. How do you circumvent it? Or hey, here's a social encounter. It was stabby, a stabby, a room, kill you. a room full of monsters that's trying to kill you. Absolutely right. So, you know, the sto- I mean, he even tell me he would say the story. That's just to connect the encounters. So maybe not in a, not for everybody by any means, but nonetheless, he kind of knew it. And in his campaigns, if you if you played a bard, it's not going to work. You're going to get frustrated unless you feel like, you know, you're in the back and you're strumming bard, 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 everybody fight bard. you know, and you're singing ballroom blitz to inspire everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Great. But that's, but however, if you're like that bar- campaign, Doc's campaign though, bards kind of a throwaway. Right. 
it's really not it ha- I don't want to say has no place but has less of a place yes. or less of a level of effectiveness. Right. Now, if you take one of Brett's, you know, Brett and his group who are all about role playing and don't mind and they die because their characters would do that or whatever, you know, or it's urban or whatever it is, and you have the social interaction or you want to, the jack of all trades to be able to kind of do whatever they need to and kind of portray the um, Cyranova, Cyrano, Cyrano de Bergiac. Yeah. Yep. No hablo say. Um <laughs> But if, if you wanted that, that kind of barred guy or gal that you're going to run in, you're going to want the role-playing components of a role-playing game. Yeah. I'll tell you, dude, the, the bards I've seen that have been the worst bards are the ones that are played by the player who for, <clears throat> who forgets that they have, what do I want to say? They forget, they forget they're a bard, I guess is the best way to say it. And they what try I mean to play is that it like they, a different, they try to like merge it into a, like I'm fighter and they go in and you're like, dude, you're yeah, not they're, a fighter, they, you're a bard. You're not a fighter, you're not a thief. If you want to be part of the thiefy group, be the face man, right? Go in the front door. Um, again, I, I look at some of, and I'm picking on James Bond because that's the first big thief, you know, in the spy world that comes to mind. But be that person who walks in the door, even a team face man, right? It's bardic stuff. He walks in, he's suave, he's cool, she's sexy, she's amazing, she's got this great talent. She walks in, she knows how to talk, she's got everybody on the edge of their seat. And in the background, the thief is cra- broken in and he's stolen everything off the database. He's robbed them blind. He's got the crown jewels. He's got the magic scepter you're after, whatever the case is. Some In that area, to me, the bard seems to be <clears throat> more of a so really true support role for the party than even the cleric because a cleric can step forward and especially in more recent editions deal some big fucking damage and can take a lot of big fucking hits because of the armor they can wear and they can drop spells they can summon things they can you know healing bursts and all sorts of crap they can pull out that bard is truly supportive you know and that bard if they're done right is the one that when the fight breaks out they're the one that um, not, not when the fight breaks up, but when you first encounter the kobolds or the goblins that are blustery or threatening, they're the ones that step forward and interact. They're not necessarily party leaders in every instance, but whenever there's a parlay that has to happen, they're the ones that step forward and say, look, I've got this. Right. I know how to parlay. I'm the guy. Yeah, I'm the, the person. They should she's going to step forward and she's going to take that parlay role for you every yeah, time. They should be the one that's like, hey, we're going to go and meet with the king or the duke's the duke's court who is going to speak fighter guy yeah right cleric maybe thief no credibility get the bard out there do their con man yep. con man dance and uh, they'll get you through it one of my favorite quasi fantasy movies is 13th warrior with antonio banderas which is based on antonio eaters of the banderas, dead who is eaters also of the dead by. he's also the voice of puss <laughs> and boots Boots and boots, yes. Yes. Um, it's ba- uh, Michael Crichton wrote the book Eaters of the Dead, which is a twist on Beowulf. But anyway, point is, in 13th Warrior, watch it, Antonio Banderas is not the main character, right? He's the guy that helps Beowulf do the thing that he has to do. 
he's a total support dude. He's got a background. He's got this. He's got that. He's got ideas. But he's supportive of everyone around him. He's bringing a different perspective, whatever the case is. <clears throat> so to me, it's not to say that the Bard is – I'm not – I would never say any class is – more or ultimate or use any or try to I definitely try not to anyway use those type of phraseology but the point is is if you're playing a bard I really think you if you want to do it you got to own it you go into that bard role you grab onto it and say look you know I'm going to be a support character and that's okay I might not get to shine all the time we might be in the dungeon for a while but you know when it comes out and the thief has <coughs> excuse me pulled together 15 rubies or whatever it is I'm going to go with the thief. I don't even have the gem skill. I don't even know how to appraise, but I'm going to help him sell. Right. I'm going to portray something. I'm going to do whatever it is because I can do this. I am the face man. I'm the person that steps in front of the crowd and talks when I need to. If you're willing to do that, then I think the bard is a totally legit character in um, damn, I mean, whatever level, I mean, again, not even weighing the bards across different classes or variations of, of theme <clears throat> in different systems, the bard is a really good support class if it's played right. And to play it right, you've got to, in Brett's opinion, sign up to be that person who's support. Yeah. I'm the support class, even more than a yeah. cleric. You also have to step up. Like you have to, you, because ha- everybody else is going to dismiss you as not being able to do shit. And and even in Chris and Phil mentioned, I think in the 5e, like if a bar negotiates, like if they go to a tavern, they can negotiate a free night stay or whatever. So they have to be able to, as you're playing it, know what you're, you know, hey, you guys, step back, I got this. And let them do their thing. And it may be saving 10 gold pieces or whatever. Maybe it's not that big a deal. But, you know, yeah, thiefy guy it comes across some gems, steals them, lifts them, whatever. Could probably appraise them. But negotiating the selling of them, hey, I got this. Let me do this thing. This is my thing. Let me do that. You stole them. I'll, I'll sell them. Whatever. See, the other – now, and I – I'll bag on myself for this too. I don't think I've always done as good a job game mastering for the bard player as I probably should have. As a game master, when someone does take the the chance, if you will, and the ridicule that the rest of the players may give them for being a bard, give them those opportunities. If you, it's no different than any other character background or character class. The fighter wants to punch it in the fucking face. Give the fighter a chance to punch it in the fucking face. Give the cleric a chance to do their thing. Give the mage a chance to drop a goddamn fireball. Give the bard the opportunity to get a free night stay, to roll against their skills. Give the bard the opportunity to do the face man thing. To perform. A lot of times, absolutely, they must perform. Perform is the best way to put it. If the bard is not allowed to perform, then the bard is useless or could or quasi-useless because they're buffing in the background, whatever it is that they could do, whatever incarnation. It's not as good as somebody else who's really, really good at that, right? Like a cleric has got perhaps better buffing spells or the mage is better attacking whatever spells, but let that bard do what they're good at. Let them have that opportunity. And if the other players, <coughs> excuse me, don't necessarily give the bard player, the Sean's playing the bard and some other men and women are like, ah, blah, blah, blah. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Stop it. Stop the group. Say, remember you do have a bard. Sean, what do you have to say? You know, help that bard out. I think you can do that. I think if you help enable the bard, you can see that the bard is pretty fucking cool. And, and players for bards rights unite. 
Absolutely. Power Quit brother. Freaking a quid freaking diss in the bar. Yeah. Hey, he's going to get into combat. Yeah. He's not going to hit shit. That's the way it rolls. He's going to get into, you know, a, a lock. Uh, he's not going to be able to maybe pick it, unpick it all the time. Hey, that's okay. All right. Quit hammering on the freaking bar. Yeah. Give let him, the bar alone, man. Put him in the, put him in the bar. You know, he's not going to bar brawl, but he's going to negotiate a good night's sleep. All right. So exactly. Give off the guy's dick. He's going to play a good tune. <laughs> we all love music. Absolutely. God damn it. So the other thing that this thinking about the bards and talking about it that's brought to my mind is um and I'll just segue a little bit away from them, if you will, is when I look at when I've played Pathfinder a lot or D D or various other games that have all the different exponential splat books or different classes and races and so forth. If you're building from a game master's perspective, if you want to have if I say I'm playing Pathfinder, like look, no oracles. No summoners, no this, no that. They don't fit my world. Okay, great. The world's built around not having those things. That's fine. No warlocks. Okay, I don't have those. None of this. I don't have that. Great. If you're going to let the bard be a legitimate character class, again, it's incumbent on you as a game master to make sure the bard has bardy stuff to be able to do. If you've got a thief who's the god king of picking locks and there are no fucking traps and there's no locks for him to pick, nothing to find, nothing to sneak, no shadows to hide in, the thief players can look at you like, really? I, I made this character for nothing. You should have told me this this was a, you know, you know, five guys in armor with two clerics campaign, because I would have made one of those. You know, so just be upfront with it. If you're going if the world is designed or you're gonna be in a in an adventure, whatever it is, even if you're the um what guitar boy or whatever it is that Phil wants to be, yeah, if you're the, in rocker, if you're rocker, in, rocker, rocker boy. Rocker boy. Rocker, I don't, I don't, I don't even know anymore. Cyber, rocker boy, it's rocker boy. I'm trying to even if you're in a that. cyberpunk adventure and there is no place for that, have the discussion with the player and say, "Sean, do you really want to be a goddamn rocker boy? Dude, I don't see how it fits." If Sean is like, "No, I can do this. I want to try this." All right, you know. But again, explain. <laughs> I want to know what's going on. I want to know if that Phil Vecchio guys actually played a rocker boy character in Cyberpunk. Something <laughs> leaves Something me. Something stinks there. You don't believe that. Do you? Well, you know, part of me's like, you know what? That guy probably has. And then at the same time, I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe he's just pulling that. Because I know Phil, he's a big Cyberpunk guy. <laughs> why the hell he brings that one up? I have no idea. I told him, I'm like, well, why not do, why not bring up GURPS then? Why? Because it's like all point build stuff. So you could bring up a bard ish guy in any well, genre. Again, if, so if we take the classes out and you build a point build person, I think it's even more imperative if you have a uh, GURPS or basic role playing or hero system or anything that's point build like that, where it's not class delimited. You look at it and say, so are you kind of like a bard? Or even if bard perhaps is an ugly word in your group, are you a performer? Where do these person's <clears throat> skills lie? It's like playing, again, if you let me build a professional boxer in a 20s Call of Cthulhu game and there's no opportunity for me to punch anything in the face, one, I as a player either didn't listen to you and made a professional boxer and I've got nothing to do and that's my goddamn fault, or two, you as a game master should have probably talked to me and said, Brett, there's no opportunities in this particular Call of Cthulhu adventure to punch shit in the face. Unless you really want to punch a deep one, go for it. But other than that, 
it's all it's a library crawl, as I've said before. You know, I'm going I'm going to do a library search. I'm looking in uh, archaeological dig or whatever the case may be. There will be phys- little to no physical combat. Oh wow, I guess my former military dude boxer guy has no place here. It's to me again similar to the bard. If you're going to allow someone to play a bard, and you say, yeah, that's cool, though the bard fits. You're either <laughs> if you don't give them something to do. You know, to be the bar to do the performance, then, dude, you're screwing your player, is what I see. So, if you have a story where you've played a bard, good or bad, email and good or bad encounters with bards. I like and that too. I I bought Lenny a, a shirt of bardic protection so that he could wear it next time we played, simply because of his bad influence, his bad experiences with bards, all being evil, cannibalistic necromancers. Sweet. Post it. Tell us. Yeah. Email gamingandbs at gmail.com. We would love to hear your bard's tale. And I've told Brett this before, too. And, and Chris, you might be able to elaborate. Chris Hussey, friend of the show, um, host, uh, guest host on Fear the Boot. Wayne or somebody over there, he's run at Fear the Boot uh, bards bardening, like bards bardening the bard's tale or something where it's like a one-shot adventure where everybody at the table is a bard the bardening the bardening the bard's bard the bardening something like that and if chris if you know more about that or whatever i don't know if i don't know if wade's uh wayne is is into the if he listens to other podcasts but uh i didn't i remember when i heard it i'm like genius anyways (laughs) Let's get into the die roll. Do it. So, die rolls where Brett and I bring up two to four miscellaneous points of gaming or geekery. Did I say two to four? I thought it might have been two to five. Regardless, or geekery, we want to share with you. Brett has a lot this week. Yep, I've got four of them. Oh, I have a little girl who needs to say goodnight. Hang on. Come here. Oh, DM. Ruthless DM. Ah, I see her. Yep. She is. That was my uh, Ilana is my most ruth my most ruthless dungeon master in the house. Dude, I want her to bring on two of horrors, have her GM it, and see if I can survive. She just cackle giggling. <laughs> She's the one I told. I mentioned this on the podcast before. My favorite quote from my my youngest daughter. She is um, uh, she's seven and uh, or will be seven. Excuse me. She's just in first grade. And um, oh wait, shit. How old is she? Holy she's cow, born man. <laughs> anyway, so my little one, her my favorite quote from Milana was, I don't know the monsters as well as you guys do, so I'm just making up stuff to freak you out. And she, that emphasis was hers. That <laughs> was funny. Anyhow, so here we go. The role-playing extravaganza. <clears throat> I mentioned a lot of this at the beginning of the show, so I won't go too deep into it, but it was a blast. Zave and I ran kind of a joint seminar at the beginning talking about game mastering tactics, tools, we talked about player pieces. Then I went through and said, okay, give me some setting stuff. Give me some adventure ideas. Wrote them on a chalkboard. Grabbed them. We split. Zave took a small group of people that were able to play. Um, sat down, built characters ready for the adventure. I took the game masters into another room. We built the adventure and came back and ran them through it. It was a blast. A lot, a lot of fun. Everyone had a good time. So, And again, I want to thank Chad Knight for getting me involved in the Evergrove group to begin with. So, Thank you, Chad. It's always been fun. My youngest son, AJ, 
he uh, his birthday, he turned nine. So he uh, had his friends over today. He was actually up with me at the gaming club. <clears throat> Yay, more applause. Happy birthday. AJ. Age. So AJ. Edge. Edge. So AJ decides that he's going to play with his buddies. So they're over there outside shooting their guns at each other, whacking each other with their swords, running inside, playing Legos, going in and out. And AJ comes up and says, Dad, I want to play a board game. I said, oh, okay. I'm cleaning up the yard. I'm like, what, what do you want to play? I want to play Crunch. Crunch is one of the first versions of um, Blood Bowl. That oh, ever is came it out. really? Yeah. <clears throat> and I have a copy of it. It's the old Games Workshop game. You take the cover off the box set, flip it over, and there's a grid in the box that says hit or miss. And when you take your dice, you drop the dice <clears throat> from a certain height. And wherever the dice land are the number of hits or misses you have. It's it's a goofy system, Jesus. but it's very simple. And ages, and I said, "Do you need me to help, Ron?" He goes, "No, I know this game." So he sits down and plays it with the guys. So he's got three of his buddies there, and they're playing. And I'm outside doing some stuff, and I come in. How's it going? And my wife Susan says, "Oh, it, I think they screwed up some of the rules because AJ said, oh, we have to redo all this. Let's just start from here. This uh, makes sense.' He <laughs> just retcons the rules, and they're playing. And they had they had a blast. They played it for like two hours, I think." Jesus. That was fun to watch. You know, have you, do you remember, Brad, do you remember the days, and I cannot remember for the life of me what the stupid, I don't even know, I can't believe it was ever actually a game. Do you remember the vibrating football game? The, the yes. Whole, do you remember that? With the little characters on it when they would do the yeah. ball. Yeah. So, Brad, what I'm talking about is uh, it's not, it's obviously not crunch, but it's uh so let me know if you guys are old enough to know this. My grandmother had this game. My grandmother had games. I don't know why she had games. My uncle was I mean, what is he like 30 years older than I am? 20 years? I don't know. But anyways, she would have that game. So she had the football one where you line up all these guys on a metal grid, right? The gridiron. And yeah. then literally you plug this the, the you'd plug the board into an outlet and then it had a rocker switch and you'd go, "Okay, and you'd put the you put like I don't even know if there was plays or what it was. We had this little like, like uh, it was almost like a cigarette butt fuzzy that yeah. would be the football, and you'd stick it in the players in the players like arm, yeah. and then you'd you turn the thing on, and the entire board <laughs> would just vibrate. You just and, want to see where the ball goes. Yeah, and then the players would just be like. <laughs> the line would go up against each other, and then every once in a while, one one of those guys, like the guy with the ball, would kind of go forward and break around. And then if the the opposing team touched him, he was down. So it was like a tackle. So then you'd be like, "Okay, done." Stop. And then you'd have to, yeah, you'd stop, turn it off, realign your formation, wow. and then hit the button again, and, or give the person like, "Okay, running back, receiver," and then turn it on. And I don't know how we did passes, but. Anyways, you okay. talked about crunch awesome. and it came to it mind. It just brings that up. That's awesome. So I also mentioned the Duke. It's a uh, board game that's a lot like um, – it's similar to chess. Well, all right, and, Pilgrim. <laughs> nah, yeah, there's there's no John Wayne. Um, I've looked a lot of – Yes, very bad. I don't – I like chess to a point, but – I like fantasy better. So I've seen different versions of a fantasy chess type of game, whatever the case is. What's really cool about the Duke is it's a small board. It plays quick. You can finish a game in a half hour or less. Depends how unfortunate you may be, like I was, or Zave. We played back and forth. Played about half dozen, seven games. It was great. And each of the tiles, they're these little wooden tiles. The tile itself shows 
how the player, how the, excuse me, how that tile moves and captures what it can do. It's basically, once you know the, the core rules, the rest of it's on the tile. It's very fast to play. It's a lot of fun. So both Dave and I are going to have to uh, reach out to Michael Althauser, and uh, we're going to look for some custom Duke uh, chip bags. I think we got to get some stuff for our tile. So thank you to uh, Motu Snow once again, our Canadian Gaming God affiliate, that, uh, for pointing this game out to me. I'm really, really happy with it. It's my new favorite board game right now. And the last thing I had was uh, Sean's recommendation, and from talking with um, – well, I shouldn't say from talking with, but from having Adam talk to us, I've started picking up. I got through some other podcasts. I got the drunk drink spin run, or drunk spin. That's horrible. The drink spin run, or perhaps the drunks. I don't know. Now I'm kidding. So anyway, I've got the DSR podcast. I've got a couple of them lined up. I listened to them later once. It was really fun. I liked what I heard. They were talking about GM burnout, which is something that you know I was obviously near and dear to my heart from my taking a break perspective. So it was cool to see their take on it, and uh, it was nice. I like their I like what they're doing there. So I'm going to keep up on them. Good stuff. Yeah, I like Your Don. Friend. I like Don on Drink Spin Run. I don't know about that other guy. Man, you just Adam liked you. He liked you last episode. He and did. Now, he did. Now look what you he did. He said he agreed with me one time. One time. You should have just. You should have just held on to that. That was the olive branch he gave you. Instead, you pissed on him. Way the, to go. The more I get to know Adam, the more I respect Kate, which is his wife. <laughs> <laughs> wow see this is this is the kind of dickery i have to deal with no. so anyway hey, anyways sean your turn or group like either or group says 5e most played rpg doesn't hurt pathfinder sales says eric mona it's posted on ian world in a forum check it out not a big surprise are you surprised uh are you surprised brett I am 5e, shocked and dismayed. No, I'm not. Five E's at the top of the the order. D and D, it was going to make a comeback. Five E was the right way to do it. It's the same. from a comeback perspective. It's a you know it's a big it's a big mammoth thing, but it's also not going to hurt Pathfinder for Christ's sake. Pathfinder is a very loyal set of setting uh, settings set of players. It's a good system. It does what it does really really well. Yeah, not a big surprise. 4E, no. it's a cycle. It's the release cycle. 4E, we're not going to release anymore. We're working on 5. 5E comes out. Everybody buys 5E and plays 5E. What if a Pathfinder shocker. Unchained or Pathfinder 2nd Edition, if you want to call it that, I know Pathfinder would hate it. Ramona would probably slap me for hearing, for hearing me say that, but... If Unchained is like the coolest thing, their sales are going to take another, you know, Pathfinder sales are going to go back up. It just, it's going to happen. Are they doing Unchained? Yeah, Unchained. That's their, uh. Their latest iteration? Supposedly, yeah. I haven't looked into it. I've, I've unplugged from the Python I've unplugged machine. a little bit as well. I kind of catch on it periodically. I'm like, oh, I wonder what's going on back over there. Cause I, you know, and then I check into it again. So. All right. I, uh. I was gonna. I kind of contemplated putting this on there, but none. You know, Brett was like, "Yeah, go." Otherwise, Brett's like, "Yep, yeah, you did this. Put that on there." So I took a cycle ride, got my bike out, Brett. I know you did. It was nice day. Perfect yeah. day. It was like like to the point where you could wear leathers and not sweat your ass off, which was really nice. nice. Yep. So I put on about a hundred miles. Not a not a not a two three hundred mile marathon that Brett and I usually do in the summer months. 
So I wrote down to Noble Knight Games. And for those of you that have heard of Noble Knight Games but really don't know much about them, they are in Janesville, Wisconsin. That's their headquarters. That's where they are. And they, um, I don't recall them ever having a retail front years and years ago, but I knew who they were. They do have a retail front now. Um, so I took a boogie down there because I knew if I went down there, they'd probably have a game I was looking for. So I drove down to Janesville from Madison, which is about 40 minutes, maybe. And I took the long way, so it took me a little longer. But um, I went down there, and they changed some of their retail space. So somebody asked me, oh. like, hey, were they doing anything for Tabletop Day? And the store was relatively quiet. Now, people were coming and going while I was there, but it wasn't like they had these big events. And the retail space, which used to have like shelving up, I mean, at least, oh God, 10 feet in like high, maybe eight, nice. feet, maybe eight feet high, full of games. And you could walk down each aisle and there, that's all it was. It wasn't like you'd walk in and there'd be a table and you could like play stuff, but it was that. More of a warehouse than a game store. Now it is even more so because what they did was they took out some of the aisles and put in like this miscellaneous like workspace in the back, like people's okay. desks full of stuff. And which kind of disappointed me because I was hoping to go in there and have this huge plethora of retail and it was kind of shrunk down. Um, so I went in there and I went up to the counter and said, Hey, do you have Knights Black Agents by Pelgrim Press? Um, and she's like, How do you spell it? You know, I'm not up to par with some of those lesser note. I don't know. She phrased it like, you know, she didn't, less, know, who was, she didn't know who they were. I didn't know what the game was. And I'm like, here it is. And she looked it up. And the funny thing is they have like a little kiosk in that little space where you could just be like, look up our inventory. Oh, neat. What, what I did not know is they actually have two warehouses. So this place has a, a backside, you know, full of, I'm sure, just cataloged items to the hilt. And then they also have another warehouse in another location in Janesville. Holy crap. I was like, holy shit. So I asked her, I said, hey, just curious, and I don't know if you could tell me, but what is your guys' like, inventory growth year over year? I mean, does it get bigger? You know, what's that look like? She said, I have no idea. And she kind of did it, you know, like, I have no idea. And uh, and then I asked her, I said, if we're local. Poor front, the poor front desk person. Like, yeah. look, I make minimum wage. I just buy something. Quit bothering me, dude. What do you want? You're asking me shit. So she, I said, I'm just curious, if I'm local and I want to buy something, is it better to like place the order online and then just come down and pick it up and just say it's for pickup? I mean, how does that work? Do you, does it matter for you guys? And she's like, no, it doesn't matter. Obviously, if they ship it, then there might be shipping behind it. She didn't tell me that, but that's my assumption. Um, or, and that second warehouse thing. So if you go there and you're just going to show up and want to, buy something and you're like, well, I know they have it. It may not be in the actual location you're standing. So it does take them like a day to kind of pull the order and bring it over to their other retail, to the retail storefront. But, uh, yeah, so that's noble night. Uh, I don't know much of the guys there, but, um, I mean, I bought, I bought two different things from, I bought the set of the, uh, monster cards from first edition uh, AD&D, the sets one, two, three, and four that they put out. And I just uh, not too long ago got a copy of the second printing of the first edition Middle Earth Role Playing Rules by Ice by Iron Crown, 
to uh, help kind of fill out my collection there, which I didn't have the box. They had a great box set. It's freaking mint inside. It's gorgeous. It you know price was right. Shipping's good. They I bought two sets of things from them, and each time it's been as good or better than I expected. Great service on the website. It's I have no complaints there, and they, it shows up relative. It shows up fast. I mean, you pay for the shipping you want, and boom, they it's there. Bag everything. Yes, so nice, nice black agents. Bag. I think nice black agents came out in twenty eleven. 2010 maybe so it's a few years old yep uh, bagged came in a bag actually they said we have a cop we have two copies one is uh, they, they're both what they say relatively new or something like that and so it could have been used somebody could have brought it in they charged me new new on it but it it is relative i mean it is new for for my intents and purposes i mean there's no uh-huh. markings or anything so i bought knight's black agents so I, I have to thank Phil for that because, and you, Brett, we've talked about it and a couple others. Uh, I know it's got it's a damn good game. It's a good, it's a game. Damn good game. So for those that aren't aware of it, it's um, Jason Bourne means vampire killers. And it's this big vampire conspiracy. It takes part in kind of the Eastern Bloc of Europe and you play agents. And I'm just starting to get into it. It's the gumshoe system by Robin Laws. Um, which is the same as the Trail of Cthulhu, um, which is which I, I have and haven't run, but um, a little bit more combat. And I know, but I know there's a it's a good buzz around it. I might check into that and see if I can run a game, even if it's at cons or whatever. So I went down there and did that. So there's my story. And then uh, my last one, which if you aren't, if you, uh, <laughs> I don't know, if you're listening to this podcast, I would imagine this is a no brainer. But if you haven't checked it out. Daredevil on Netflix. I've heard about it. I knew it was coming. I've been so damn busy. I'm not caught up on it, but that's on my docket I mean, of shit to watch. There's guys out there that take days off to binge watch whatever Netflix releases. <laughs> yeah, very I mean, true. Wow. Good for you guys. But it is, it's good. One person posted like, yeah, I was wondering why it's MA, right? So it's what? Mature audience, right? Is the rating. And he's like, well, I really love to watch this with my like 12 year old boy, you know, why is it mature audience and everybody's like so i said it like this if you don't mind see if you don't mind your kid watching a guy get his head crushed in a car door over and over and over and over and over and over again do that with the blood and like blood spatter then great (laughs) then you're fine but if that's like too violent for you then you're not going to want your kids to watch this it, it's it's probably so I I equate it to kind of like the Dark Knight right, fighty fighty, but it's way more violent than the Dark Knight. Well, I mean, Daredevil beats the fuck out of people. So and there's mobsters and gangsters that beat the fuck out of people. So yeah, I can get I can see that. I want to watch it, so I got to get in on it. I just it it's a good. It's yet. good. I like it. I like the actors. I like the premise. I like the writing. I like. I think everybody's that I've seen like it. They complain about his costume. Whatever. Who cares. But um, and I haven't seen those comments, but I've seen a lot of people say that it's it's well done. Well, um, it's it's like any mode of geekery or anything in that in the nerdosphere, right? At some point, there's going to be a batch of folks that can't stand it because it doesn't meet their interpretation. Somebody hates this because it's bad. There's certain things that are wad, widely reviled, and other things that are you know narrowly reviled by a certain group of people that are just too hardcore for their own good, if you will. It is a Frank. It's like a Frank Miller Daredevil, though. Which is the gritty? Well, Frank. It's kind of the uh, John Romano Jr. And I think Frank. Fuck, I've got the graphic novel on the shelf. I do too. But the image, the images, looks like that one. So, 
Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. So check it out by all means. Um, it's good stuff. I would certainly, certainly, uh, I mean, I'm watching it and I don't know. And I'm not a comic book guy at all. Like I don't, I don't know who Fisk is or any of that stuff. Jesus Christ. I know. Is he, is he Kingpin? Yes, he's Kingpin. Okay, because I was like, dude, that looks like Kingpin from little, from the uh, Wiz uh, Kids miniatures. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> the the flames, flames at the side of my face. That's that's what my reference is. All right. Hey, thanks for tuning in. If you love this podcast, like uh, you know, other people like Joe Swick, Joe yes. went out there and wrote us a. A very kind review on iTunes. Thank you so much, Joe, and everybody else that has that we haven't called out specifically, but that helps us get some added exposure. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you, Joe. I'll leave off with I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night. Good game and all. <laughs>